0: We are very triangulated today. Brian, you're in New York. Anna Sale, you're in South Carolina. I am at NPR West in Los Angeles. So this is just about as triangulated a uh, politics podcast as we can get here.
1: It's good, and we don't even have Bill or Hillary Clinton to try to do the triangulation. <laughs>
0: we're doing it for. We're doing the triangulation for President Obama. He doesn't have to do it himself today. <laughs>
2: It feels so different here than New Hampshire and Iowa, and and I think it's it's obvious, but I don't think people mention it enough. New Hampshire and Iowa, both swing states. South Carolina, solid Republican country, and the vitriol towards Barack Obama is is just thicker here than what I've seen in Iowa and New Hampshire. Folks are ready to get him out of the White House.
0: And a lot of people think that South Carolina really is ground zero for that real Republicanism, uh, that that real red state energy that Republicans are hoping will get involved in the election. Well, that's what we're talking about today. You're listening to Anna Sale, who's live in South Carolina following the Republican candidates as they move through the early primary states. And you are listening to It's a Free Country. The Podcast. I'm Todd Zwillick, Washington correspondent for The Takeaway from PRI and WNYC, of course. And with us is our own Brian Lehrer, who's in New York. I'm in L.A. and is in South Carolina. We are triangulated. Hello, everyone.
1: I have the envelope yes. with the winner of last week's podcast. And remember, oh. folks, It's a Free Country. The podcast is a competition between Anna and Todd and myself and sometimes Special guests like Anna Marie Cox, who'll join us soon um, to see who can bring the most revealing sound bite of the week from the campaign trail. Are you ready for the envelope
0: i'm i 'm all filled with confidence
2: i 've been nervous all week
0: I feel good about this one. I feel good about it this week
1: and the winner is this is, is, better than the this is not rehearsed. I do not know what i 'm about to read. The winner is. Me. (laughs) Oh, recount.
2: Where's Waterhouse
1: For the clip of Rick Santorum comparing Obama to Mussolini. And I got, excuse me, 53% of the vote. And I got 26% of the vote for her clip of an unenthusiastic New Hampshire voter. And Todd finished last with 15% of the vote for Newt Gingrich saying, politics ain't beanbag. I am the John Huntsman of this group, clearly.
0: <laughs> wow! Clear Fi- majority for
1: Brian. Mr.
2: That's impressive.
1: Mr. Fifteen percent. Yeah,
0: <laughs> Brian, you got a clear majority, which is better than Mitt Romney has managed to do so far. Um, a clear majority in this group is pretty impressive. Well, congratulations. I'm a bit bitter.
1: I but won't I'll try to do bloat cl- much, but I well, have the I let's... have the best clip for this week too
2: well let's start first with my clip though cuz i i think this is actually the most revealing which you remember is the competition what's the most revealing what's what's something that we we haven't heard amongst all the conversation about south carolina so far this week um and and i've been talking to voters over the last several days and it's very it's easy to find social conservative voters it's easy to find voters who are thinking about romney but have some reservations aren't quite sure It's easy to find folks who are who are are undecided between Santorum or Newt Gingrich or Rick Perry, but I have found a couple of folks who uh, who are not voting in the Republican primary uh, because they're registered Democrat, but they're also going to be sort of you know they're swing voters. I met met a guy named Thomas Coleman, and I think he speaks to some some larger themes that we're going to get to once we get through this primary contest. He is a Farmer and and runs a stall at a farmers market in Lexington County, South Carolina. He voted for McCain in 2008, uh, and just kind of put his hands up in the air when I asked him what he was making of the political debate so far in the presidential contest. Um, he's had a really tough couple of years. He has seen his sort of farmers market stall just just hasn't picked up since the recession. Farming has gotten more and more difficult. He's trying to make up for some of that by selling tomatoes out of state, but even dealing with trucking and that sort of thing, the price of fuel—it just seems like at every angle he's gotten hit. And so I asked him, you know, what he's making of, you know, when the economy is such a focus of the debate this year. You know, how's he feeling? Does he—is anyone offering him any hope? And uh, this is what he told me.
1: I know
3: I'm worried. Uh, I won't speak for everybody, but everybody I've talked to has got a problem with it.
1: And maybe we can have it picked up. Maybe we can get a good—you know, it takes more than the White House to do it, though. Uh, It goes back into Congress and everywhere else.
3: Uh, Politics has not been for the working man for years, in my opinion.
2: What Thomas Coleman brings up is, obviously, in South Carolina, not likely to be a swing state come the fall. But I think you'll hear these sentiments among a lot of Reagan Democrats— the folks who, you know, will be up for grabs between the Republican nominee and President Obama. And and I was thinking about, Thomas when I was looking at this Q poll that just came out this morning about Ohio, and Romney and Obama right now are almost evenly matched right now, it's yeah. split. And one of the key things that I sort of saw was, so only 38% of white voters in Ohio think Obama deserves reelection. I and mean, we heard a lot about the white working class vote when Obama and Hillary Clinton were running against each other in the primary, but I think we're going to be hearing about it again in 2012, particularly when Mitt Romney is not a guy who can, you know, show up at a bar, have a beer, and and play, you know, the everyman role. So I think these voters are going to be up for grabs if Mitt Romney is the Republican nominee.
1: I, I was fascinated that this guy who's going to be a voter in a Republican primary, said politics has not been for the working man for years, in my opinion. If you were coming in blindfolded and you didn't know who was who and what the context was, you would probably guess that it was a Democrat who would say that.
2: Well, let me uh, to correct you. Thomas Coleman actually is a registered Democrat. Uh-huh. He is from, uh, he actually is from West Virginia, my home state, moved down to South Carolina about 16 years ago. He was, in, he was from steel country in West Virginia. Those jobs, the economy collapsed there. He moved to South Carolina for work in the agriculture industry, and now that's sort of collapsing. Uh, but he voted for John McCain in 2008. So he sort of swung back and forth, mm-hmm. just hasn't changed his registration.
1: All right, well. That brings me to my much better clip, except I'm going to be haunted. I have to admit I'm going to be haunted by his voice, I think, for at least the rest of the day. But my clip this week goes to the class issue and much more. It is Newt Gingrich's food stamps moment in the Monday night debate that got him so much applause. Now, folks, if you've only heard the tiny soundbite version, here is a minute and a quarter That includes some of the question by Juan Williams, who, contrary to how this might sound, was not a competing candidate in this debate.
0: And i got to tell you, my email account, my Twitter account, has been inundated with people of all races who are asking if your comments are not intended to belittle the poor and racial minorities. You saw some of this reaction during your visit to a black church. You saw some of this during your visit to a black church in South Carolina where a woman asked you why you refer to President Obama as the food stamp president. It sounds as if you are seeking to belittle people.
3: Well, first of all, Juan, the fact is that more people have been put on food stamps by Barack Obama than any president in American history. politically correct, you're not supposed to use facts that are uncomfortable. I believe every American of every background has been endowed by their creator with the right to pursue happiness, and if that makes liberals unhappy, I'm going to continue to find ways to help poor people learn how to get a job, learn how to get a better job, and learn someday to own the job.
1: So mine is obviously the best clip, the most revealing clip of the week because <laughs> it has race and class, poverty and freedom, text and subtext, conflict between moderator and ca- candidate. It's the and great audience and audience. <laughs> it's the great American novel in a minute in fifteen seconds. But maybe you know, guys, maybe it's not revealing because it's such vintage Newt because it was this exact gambit in the nineties that got him as far as it did up to Speaker of the House, talking about hope and opportunity for the downtrodden on the one hand who doesn't want more jobs rather than more food stamps, but he does it in a way that also paints the poor not as Americans in need of support but as lazy you-know-whats who are stealing your tax dollars. So in the 90s it was people on welfare. Now even with today's unemployment rate, it's people on food stamps, and he gets a big round of applause for that time.
0: Well, Newt Gingrich is somebody who spent a career crafting the conservative and Republican message, not reacting to it, but, but, but inventing what the message would be and what the political strategy would be, shows his acumen in finding a tone for a place like South Carolina for a conservative primary, or at least what he thinks it is. Uh, Newt is incredibly adept at hitting right on those sort of dog whistles and notes that conservatives want to hear in this primary and I think that is is a large measure why why he is doing uh, really you know re- really quite well in in uh, in a lot of the early primary states so far not not enough to top Mitt Romney of course but you also saw in that clip another thing that Newt Gingrich is famous for in addition to um, to pinpointing the uh, the message the, the message for Republicans and that's uh, that's that's lambasting the media and questioning the premise of the of, of the questioner. All in all in one breath with which Newt has always been highly adaptive. I
1: thought he was just imitating Britt Hume. Well first of all Juan. <laughs>
0: well brian you th- those two clips are pretty good i have to say i'm not going to sit here and criticize my opponents like some people do because i i do subscribe to the 11th commandment of public radio media so i'm not going to criticize another journalist <laughs> but i will say this in defense of my own clip it is clearly the best this week why is it revealing because this is yet another example from mitt romney Uh, of Republicans in this primary who keep throwing the ball over the middle of the plate for Democrats. I'm going to play you a clip that is making Democrats salivate. Back when Newt Gingrich, a couple of weeks ago, Anna and Brian, started attacking Mitt Romney for his experience at Bain Capital, Democrats were so happy. They thought, well, he's stealing our thunder a little bit, but we can't wait to use this stuff in our ads. When Mitt Romney said corporations are people, they said, ooh, that's going to make a great 30-second ad, and it already has. Or when Mitt Romney said, I'll bet you $10,000, Rick Perry. What normal American even thinks about $10,000, much less bets it on a throwaway line at a well here's a clip from this week of Mitt Romney himself describing his functional tax rate heading into an election where his where his probable opponent President Barack Obama is going to make shared sacrifice the divide between the rich and the rest of us and taxes a key tenet of the campaign listen to Mitt Romney throwing one over the middle of the plate for Democrats very high- income people in this country pay roughly 15 percent uh, taxes if they're uh, if their
3: resources are coming from uh, from investments. And uh, and under their plan, it would go to zero. I, I just don't think that's the right course. I think in, with our precious dollars, we should focus providing relief, tax relief, it, really in two areas. One one is for middle-income Americans that have been hurt the most. And secondly, is to bring our corporate tax rates to a level where we can draw people from other countries to come bring their funds back into this country. Pardon? What's the effective rate you? Uh, what's the effective rate I've been paying? Well, I've, it's probably closer to the 15% rate than anything because my last 10 years, I've um, uh, my income comes overwhelmingly from, from investments made in the past rather than ordinary income or rather than earned uh, annual income. I, I, I got a little bit of income from my book, but I gave that all away. And, uh, uh, and
0: then I get speaker's fees from time to time, but not very much. <laughs> Okay. Now, now to put that in context, which Democrats won't do, Mitt Romney was actually saying other Republican candidates want to get mm-hmm. rid of the capital gains tax. They want to make it to zero. I don't want to do that. I'm actually for something a little bit more progressive. But forget about the context, because what Mitt Romney wound up saying there is that his functional tax rate is about 15 percent because he makes a lot of his millions from capital gains. Well, normal middle-class Americans pay significantly more than 15%. In fact, Newt Gingrich, who's also a millionaire, is pouncing on this, saying he's going to release his own tax records uh, this week and that he pays something in the 30 percent range, not like a, not like a plutocrats like Mitt Romney and Democrats are loving this because regular Americans don't pay 15 percent. Why does a millionaire like Mitt Romney pay 15 percent? Not to mention the end of that clip where Mitt Romney says, I get speakers free from time to time, but not very much. Well, when you dig into not very much, I think he reported something on the order of $300,000 in speaking fees in 2011. But to Mitt Romney, that's not very much. I saw three hundred. Uh, Democrats are going to love this, you guys. That's going to be very revealing for the, next, for the rest of the campaign.
1: $374,000 was the number I saw reported today for his speaking fees. And I guess— Not very much, huh? When you make multiple millions a year, mostly in stocks and bonds— you know, only being taxed at 15 percent because they're capital gains, uh, and your Mitt Romney, I guess, 374 can seem like not very much. But and you're. I, go ahead, she, Anna.
2: Speaking of the the working man from my clip and the the honor of work from your clip, Brian, then to hear sort of earned income, actual earned income, you know, income that you work for, as opposed to capital gains and that sort of thing, being sort of you know such a little part of what Mitt Romney brings in every year, I think that's quite a contrast.
1: You know,
0: don't world- you guys agree with me that the Democrats are gonna are are just loving that this feeds into the same narrative that they keep getting that if this if this election is gonna be about the president wants it to be about shared sacrifice and uh, recovering from a bad economy and the whatever you want to call it, the 1% and the 99%, painted however you want, that they love clips like this. Oh, yeah. We,
2: we, Mitt Romney just said, I am the 1% right there. In we, a we, very can't, clear way.
1: we can't read Mitt Romney's mind, but I tend to think that he got that 15% stat out there now. Because the media will get tired of it after a while. And so it won't be some kind of bombshell in people's minds in October when the general election is run, if it's run between him and Barack Obama. Um, However, he keeps not being able to get out of his own way when it comes to looking like Richie Rich for president. And so the other part of that, you know, like he made the $10,000 Bet on stage, and like he um, said, he likes firing people who provide him services. The other part of that that we were just talking about, where he said, Oh, and I make, you know, regular earned taxable income from speaking fees, but it's not very much, ha ha ha, and then the world learns that it was $374,000. <clears> he just can't get a, a, out of his own way. Brian, so. I.
0: I, I, I agree with you, and I think all of this detailed discussion on the heels of my clip and all the implications basically proves that ha. my clip was the most revealing this week. I think we've sort of just proved it. Now all I need is for the voters on the website to, um, to, to confirm what we already know, which is that this is the most
1: revealing clip of the week. The site, of course, is org, and you can subscribe to this podcast at org slash podcast. And I am so pleased to welcome Anna Marie Cox who blogs and tweets for, I guess she tweets for herself and blogs for The Guardian. Do I have that right? (laughs) That is correct. You may know Todd. You may know Anna. I know
4: them by reputation. Hi. Hello.
1: And is there anything you want to say about what we were just talking about? You've been listening patiently to us blathering on here
4: patient of being I mean like you know Twittering and like you know surfing around uh, no um I guess the one thing I would say is that Romney's um, you know I pay a fifteen percent income tax line uh, your speculation that it might somehow be better to get that out now. Uh, because voters will get tired of it or the media will get tired of it. I mean, definitely the media will get tired of it, but I think that the thing about it coming out now is that it's going to become just a part of the received wisdom about Mitt Romney, Um, something that, you know, comedians can continue to make jokes about in the same way they make jokes about his woodenness or they make jokes about Perry's idiocy. (laughs) I mean, I think that if it becomes just a part of what people know about him, yes, it's not anything new. I mean, I don't think anyone's shocked to know that Mitt Romney part of the 1%. Um, but these details matter, and, and, and they also matter in the sense that they, they, they don't do anything to to make people think that he knows anything about what their situation is. And, and also, you're right that the whole language of that clip is wrong. <laughs> you know, ordinary income. And, you know, just a little bit or just, just a little money from speaking fees. I mean, I think all of that just rubs the wrong way.
1: Anna, we are sitting on the edge of our seats in New York, South Carolina, and California, respectively, waiting for your entry into the most revealing clip, Sweepstakes. Do you want to set it up at all, or is it going to be completely oh, um, self-explanatory? Well,
4: Romney clip. <laughs> You know he really did a lot this week I mean I guess he's the one we're paying attention to um, and it's true I'm not sure that the, the idea of something being revealing about Mitt Romney you know, it would I guess that'd be technically maybe have to be new information <laughs> um, and, and none of these things I think so far give us anything new about him but they maybe give us an insight to the way that he thinks this is from the debate and it's most likely a genuine Freudian slip um, which I guess if I think about that genuine means it really is revealing so this starts with with Rick Santorum's voice.
3: If, in thought you felt so passionately about this that you are now going to go out and have somebody criticize me for restoring voting rights to people who have, who have exhausted their sentence and served their time and paid their debt to society, then why didn't you try to change that when you were governor of Massachusetts? Well, first of all, as. Be- as governor of Massachusetts, I had an 85% Democratic legislature. This is something we discussed. My view was people who would committed violent crime should not be able to vote, even upon coming out of office.
2: <laughs> even upon coming out, coming
1: of, out of office. office. He, he must know the people in the New York State Legislature. <laughs>
2: That's right. Like the Food future office.
4: was better here when you were governor. Perhaps that tells us a little bit about what what Romney thinks of governance um, and what he thinks of it as as terms of like whether or not it's it's something you do for the people or for yourself and whether or not it's really on the up and up. Um, to be fair, I, I don't know. I, I don't of the many things that Romney is. I don't think he's personally corrupt. Um, I I think that, you know, he can be disingenuous. Um, He's definitely a flip-flopper. But he's pretty pragmatic, and and I guess I believe that he probably has nothing in his past that isn't to the exact letter of the law. Um, Do I think that maybe he has really good tax attorneys? (laughs) Um, Do I think that perhaps some of the things that um, Bain Capital pulled would be Oh, I mean, I guess you know the old socialist in me wants to say like moral crimes, um, perhaps, but you know I mean I think it, it it's it 's kind of an interesting exchange, not just because of that slip though, but because actually what it says about about Santorum um, every once in a while in these debates you get a glimpse of the side of Santorum that doesn 't get really written about very much, which is that um, his sort of for lack of a better term social justice streak. Um, which he does have, and it, it comes from a tradition in Catholicism um, that he adheres to. Uh, he 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 really does feel pretty passionately about about charity and about and about well. Again, like, I don't think he would use this term, but about class justice. (laughs) Um, And I think that his very passionate, I think, genuine argument for restoring voting rights to people who have served their sentence and and served it out, um, it's a really interesting one, and one you're not going to get a lot of votes for in South Carolina, but I kind of admire him for making
2: that argument. And and just to get to back, back to the idea of, of Mitt Romney describing a, a, a office prison as serving in office, um, it kind of reminds me this is a guy he doesn't seem to relish the campaign trail for somebody who's been running for so long. He doesn't seem like he's having fun. So that's kind of what I hear. It's sort of like politics <laughs> politics might sound like kind of something that you've gotta do a prison sentence and, and just to get where you where you wanna go, but but he doesn't he's not
1: having fun out here.
0: Well, this, if he thinks running for office is a prison, wait until he gets in the Oval Office. Exactly. Boy, oh boy. I was just going to say, read Jody <laughs>
1: Cantor's book about what it's yeah. like for the Obamas to live in the gilded cage. So we're going to run <laughs> out of time, but I want to know who Anna Marie Cox thinks is going to be the last not-mit standing. Because to me, the most, maybe the most interesting thing going on in South Carolina is really Santorum and Gingrich— Um, Starting to get testy against each other. And Santorum is trying to paint Gingrich as the other moderate in the race. That's a dirty word now is moderate um, next to Romney. But but, uh, uh, Gingrich is trying to paint himself as the other conservative in the race and the more electable one uh, other than Santorum.
4: I think it's really interesting, and I guess you're not counting Ron Paul as the not Mitt because um, he's pretty much he's the not Mitt since day one. He is really just uh, Ron Paul um, un- unto himself. Because um, I do think Ron Paul is going to just continue for as long as he possibly can, and, and he's and got the money and or-
1: yeah, and people yeah. don't realize he's got the money and organization to keep going, maybe longer than any of the others.
4: Yeah, I think so. I think that Ron Paul is going to stick it out till the bitter end. And I, and I hope he does. As someone who has some libertarian sympathies myself, um, I, it's nice to see that voice really reawakened in the Republican Party. Um, and I guess when you look at Santorum and Newt Gingrich, I got to say, as someone who has also, uh, proceeded in my career kind of fueled by spite, if nothing else, some of the time, um, spite is a really great motivator. And that's what Newt Gingrich is running on. Um, <laughs> you know, he may run out of money, but he won't run out of bile.
0: <laughs> How far does bile get you in a Republican uh, nomination? That's the question.
4: I don't think it gets you very far, but I don't think Newt Gingrich cares. I mean, to be quite honest, I think I think that it's one of it's a very. I mean, I've said this before. Newt Gingrich is a is. A, is egomaniacal even for a presidential candidate, and I think that you're seeing that, you know, with him now in his turn to, to nastiness, which he still can't get away from. I mean, he 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 seems to be saying that he will, but he he hasn't, and I think it's um, no, sort there of characterologically was, impossible for him to get away from
1: it. There was a national poll of Republicans in which I think 63% said that Gingrich was the most. Uh, Nasty in the race. Um, mm-hmm. I just want to know who the other thirty-seven percent were, and what, <laughs> you know.
2: Well, speaking of Nutesa uh, Bile, we had a little Twitter contest this week, right? About politics is not beanbag. Oh, so what, that's what, what right. we did. What do we find out this week?
1: To update that phrase for the twenty-first century since I said nobody plays beanbag anymore. Um, but then, you know, some people wrapped my knuckles on that and said, no, people, college students play beanbag. They just call it cornhole now. That's right.
0: At what college? <laughs> college
4: football. Player. I have actually, I'll just jump in. I have, pl- I have cornholed before. Um, I have totally played that
2: game. I'm not sure that's the correct usage of the verb there.
1: Oh, <laughs> right, right, right. So Todd and I last week said, politics is not Farmville. And Anna said politics is not beer pong and politics is not words with friends. And, of course, the idea of it is that politics is much more rough and tumble than whatever the thing is. So a winning response from one of our listeners on Twitter came from Joe Cool 57, who wrote, politics is not angry birds. Oh, wait. Politics is totally angry birds. Disregard. (laughs) Bye.
4: Thank you for having me.
1: It's a free country. Thank you. Bye,
0: everybody. guys. It was fun. See you later. See you next week. I'll okay, be up bye there. Bye. Bye.